I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone. It's time for The Connor and Smith Show. You went really high. I was trying something different. The Connor and Smith Show. I was using my mix. The Connor and Smith Show. Where you want to go? The Connor and Smith Show. I want to know. I want to talk to Polly. She's our next guest. Uh, I bet she might even be the best. Holly Noonan is our guest tonight. Thank you for that intro, Matthew. That was inspired. It just came to me. Very spontaneously. Because Polly actually really inspired us with a lot of... um, She's a very creative thinker, and I love talking to her. Yes, and we're going to talk... Wait, are we supposed to talk like... Are we supposed to talk like we haven't talked to her, or that we are going to? I don't think either matters. Because we have talked to her. We have. And now we're introducing the podcast like we haven't right we've already talked to her this was pre-taped this is just kind of a yeah but we hope that you enjoy what we enjoyed which was a exquisite conversation with polly who was here in dc a couple of times Mm -hmm. she's based out of chicago and um yeah it was a great conversation we saw her in uh the passion play at arena stage and dead, dead man's, man's cell phone at woolly mammoth theater i mean when you go to woolly and there's a poster that says dead man's cell phone don't you already see what the play is going to be well we discussed that in the podcast of how delicious that was because it gives you the title in the first scene and i did bring up to polly that you're gonna you're about to hear that um I can't remember anyone else in the Passion Play. That's unfortunate but, because a lot of our friends are in the Passion Play. Well, it was a very big, epic production. And I don't mean I don't remember anyone else, but th- I remember... She had an indelible character. I remember her character and some moments she had on stage. And it was just... It was... Um, you know, sometimes things just leave an imprint on you like that. And, and it did. Well, as we will discuss, she was the eyes in... She was the audience's entryway into both of those plays, and she plays those kind of things frequently. So anyway, we've talked too much. So she was the safari in my MacBook, a window into. Yes. Yeah. She's. um, And. Yeah. And now it's time for us to take a break. We'll be right back. Right back. Holly. Hello. Hi, I'm Steven. I'm sitting here with my husband, Matt. Hi, Polly. Hi, Matt. Um, Hi, Steven. This is like the most random interview in the world. Um, We don't know you. No. But we want to. We have seen you several times in Washington. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, we've seen you in uh, Dead Man's Cell Phone. Uh-huh. At Woolly Mammoth and in the Passion Play at Aww. Arena Stage. I loved both of those projects. We um we're both uh, actors, directors, writers in the DC area, um, yes. and have worked there at Arena uh, yeah. before. And so this was just random. I kind of by accident found you and was like, oh my god, Polly Noonan is. We saw her in Dead Man's Cell Phone anyway. Yeah, and Fred Schiffman said, you're going to talk to Polly? <laughs> I love Fred. That's delightful. <laughs> um, 
so I, I don't know. This is kind of just like a blind date. Um, so welcome. Thank you for showing up and not, um, you know, and meeting us at that weird restaurant. <laughs> where, where are you at tonight? Are you in, in New York? I'm in Chicago. You're back in Chicago. Yeah. So that leads me, I guess, to our Steppenwolf discussion. You, are you a company member of Steppenwolf? No. You're not? No. Have you worked with the Steppenwolf before? I have. You have? Uh-huh. Now, the Steppenwolf is a theater, but not a training program, right? Mm, it is a theater company. That's its... Um, that's how they made their mark as as a theater company um but they do have a training program oh they do but i think that came later you know i don't know that much about the training program but at some point they developed a training program so is there a, a special technique with the steppenwolf or do they uh kind of <laughs> i think you're gonna have to ask a steppenwolf member because i i don't know i've never um i've never taken a class through steppenwolf but i i know and have read about people um having studied with steppenwolf is, Step is, 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 go ahead i was just gonna say steppenwolf uh the company has the reputation i don't know how much you guys know being in dc uh, they started in a basement of a church and they're known for their gritty, urban, um, you know, raw theater style. And they moved from there to a storefront. I got to see some shows in the storefront as I was growing up. And then um, and then they moved to their their big complex. They built a big place and now they're expanding to an enormous place as far as I understand it you know um but it's exciting it is exciting what's the biggest difference between DC and Chicago theater is it more experimental in Chicago you know that's a great question uh I'm not sure I know entirely but you know Chicago is probably more sprawling so there may just be more theater um I thought that there were, when I was working in DC, there were a bunch of companies doing really experimental, really exciting work. And um, I was surprised and awed by the theater in DC. You know, I mean, Chicago has this kind of great reputation and um, uh, people are very proud of the work here. It was really exciting to me to have not Maybe I, you know, I'm, I just, I wasn't, I didn't have a ton of information about the theater in DC and I was awed by what, what was happening in DC when I worked there and when I was able to visit and see more work. I just think what an incredible town for theater, what a cosmopolitan town for theater. And it, it becomes a lot about political theater. Yeah, um, we're always overshadowed by the Washington Post. Yeah. Right, sure. There's a lot of strategically done and chosen material, which it, as it should be. Um, yeah. But uh, you've, you've worked with Sarah Rule for a long time. How did, that, how did that relationship begin? What was the catalyst? So I trained at the Piven Theater Workshop in Evanston, and Sarah also studied there, um, and her mother worked there. And when I was in high school, 
I was in a piece with Sarah's mother, Kathy Rule, who, if you don't know about her, she's an extraordinary actress um, who is on the Chicago scene. She works with a theater company called Red Twist a fair amount. And she's just, she's been, uh, she was also a teacher and she, a mother, um, but she has this life as an actor as well. And so I was in some workshop productions with Kathy and Sarah came to see them. Uh, she's a little bit younger than I am. And so she saw those productions. And then we, I had directed something at Steppenwolf. And then I uh, found out that there was a project being developed called Orlando, uh, commissioned by Joyce Piven, which was one of Sarah's early commissions. And I, I had just finished directing and I was able to step into that project in development. And Sarah and I had some incredible conversations about theater and what our thoughts were about theater. And we got to be friends through that process. And it seemed that we're, our sensibilities were aligned and we, um, we've continued to work with each other throughout our lives. And it's been uh, a, such a rich pleasure. That's that's such a great reminder of just the the sort of the family of when you're in the arts and how you connect with people in such a different way than working at the bank. Yeah. And you create like such a beautiful understanding where I don't know, you're you're most vulnerable sometimes with those close friends and you also yeah. can really talk about your weaknesses and your strengths and you know, it's just really such a great a great uh world to live in. Absolutely. And one of the things about Joyce Piven and Burn Piven and the Piven Theater Workshop in Evanston, um, it's now run by Jen Green, but that workshop, that way of training, which uh, is very much story theater and theater games and improvisation, um, they, they were doing something really extraordinary. In, you know, in the 70s and 80s, and they continue to do uh, challenging work uh, that, you know, it demands, demands excellence from everyone who's involved. And it's, it was incredibly gratifying to, I joined the workshop the summer after my junior year in high school, and my life was transformed through those classes. And the, um, it was a real, it was just so important and valuable to be challenged and to have, uh, you know, we, we did, uh, we did performances. I think we had a four week run of a show we developed with Byrne and Joyce as part of the young people's company, but you know, the work was demanding and everyone, everyone's contribution was valuable. And to have that, have that kind of, relationship and process as a teenager was just extraordinary. Informative and, and yeah. just changing the course of your life. Yeah. And so Sarah came through that process. I came through that process. And so we had a certain kind of passion. And I'm, I I read about you guys that you also met in, in a process at school. Is that correct? Am I correct? Mm. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, these are those are the moments you're spending long hours with each other and you're talking about ideas and you're talking about process and it it's it's thrilling. 
Well, I think that's one of the things that's really kept our marriage and our relationship and our professional career just kind of a very fun curiosity place because on every level, just like in theater games, you have to kind of either say yes and mm-hmm. or trouble you have to like troubleshoot the problem and find the answer. It's just been kind of the same thing to live in the artistic uh, brain the entire time. Yeah, it, it's like going back to the practice rooms and right. the, the excitement like, you feel. We're going to fight about this scene study partner. <laughs> I think you're wrong. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the passion play. Can we, Stephen? Yeah. Okay. So passion Can play. Can we, Polly? Yes. Okay. The passion play. It was in both the Goodman and Arena stage. Um, did Molly direct? Yes. Was it at Arena first? It was at Arena. It was... Um... It was at Arena Stage. Molly directed it first, but it had had a process. Um, so I got an early draft of the script when there was maybe just one act. Um, Sarah sent it to me, um, maybe to do a reading at Chicago Dramatists, I think. But then Molly, I think there may have been a, produ- a production or a reading or a workshop process at Brown. Uh, with when there were two acts and then Molly had commissioned a, a project from Sarah and that became Passion Play, the third act of Passion Play tied with the other two acts. And, but in between, somewhere in there, Sarah had met Markwing Davy, a director in England who did a, pro- a bare bones project in England of just the two acts. And so Molly directed the premiere at arena and then after that mark wing mark wing davy directed at the goodman and then that project went to yale rep you know a, a sort of different version but taking some of the same people to yale rep and then even later on went to gosh what i'm gonna blank the production company epic theater company in, and they produced it. They're a New York company, but they rented space at Irondale Theater Center in Brooklyn, New York. Wow. And so, you played the village idiot. I and did. Violet. I did. Um, do you want to speak well, a little? Well, I just want to say, first, yeah. first of all, I don't remember the many characters from that play. I, I mean, it's been a while, but I, I kid you not, I remember the village idiot idiot and I remember I don't know what happened but something happened either in the second or third act <clears throat> I don't remember if it was a monologue or a moment from the character the village idiot but it really just uh, it was a very transparent moment where of course the village idiot had some sort of amazing revelation that was just revelation that just completely was like oh my god this is fantastic writing mm. Sarah is a sensational writer. And um, if you have the good fortune to work on one of her plays, then you get to live in that world for weeks, months. Um, You know, with the passion play, I think we usually had a two month and a half to two months rehearsal process and a month performance. So three months at a time, you know, four times in my life. The plays are so spare and simple but they have you just every night you live in in the language of the play and 
thing different lines resonate on different even, evenings and it's um it's breathtaking your mind your mind can really hook on to one thing or another thing in a way that it's it's just a, a it's a rich pleasure to work on her plays yeah um the uh i love working at arena stage i love molly i've worked with molly several times oh, she's amazing <clears throat> the family that she also helps to create yeah um, yeah and, it, it's it's team building it's it's wonderful um you feel like a true artist when you yeah, are in she's her incredible. hands incredible she did a process i i think you may have experienced this on one of your projects with this play which was so much about location she did she had us do something i think called mapping where we stood on the you know we stood we kind of the idea of a map on the floor and then we st you stood where you were born and then you stood where you lived now and then you stood where you thought home was, you know, conceptually. So, you know, bodies in the room um, moving around kind of clumped together, you know, D.C. or New York or Chicago. It was really it was truly memorable um, and joyful and also provocative, you know, because what is home or as an actor where you're on the road so much to have her say, you know, that's where you were born or where you grew up, but where do you, where do you consider home? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she's a, she's a wonderful director, wonderful leader, inspiring human being. I think it's probably, she probably does different exercises based on the project and what, yeah she wants to get out of the cast I, yeah. I for two different shows we we did an improv of a previous moment in the character's life yes yes and it could be with music we, music was encouraged actually um but it it was to be no longer than like a minute or two yeah um and then but that was done earlier in in the process so not only are you watching interestingly what other characters think their journey previous to this moment is, you're getting to know those artists and what get a sense of who they are as well. Yeah. yeah. There's also, I don't think when you were at Arena, the renovation had been done yet. No, no. It's, so I've worked in there once before the renovation in 2005, uh -huh. and, and then once in 2015 when it was complete. Uh -huh. And I have to say that that team building and family building is even stronger now because there's this wonderful kitchen that's very large that has big long tables. Yes. That the cast just pile in and make lunch together and Molly sits right at the table with everyone else. Yeah. Picks a different seat every day, gets to have a conversation with somebody she doesn't know or and it's it's yeah, it's magical working there. Um What was the show you were working on in 2015? Uh, they did a updated version of Oliver. Oh, amazing. Yeah, Jeff McCarthy was our Fagan. Um, it was a really, really interesting process. Um, I think it, I, I read or heard that you were involved with Damn Yankees. Correct, yes. Which was an astonishing show. I got to see it. Maybe we were in rehearsal for Passion Play or maybe... No, maybe it was afterwards and I'd come to town for some reason. But boy, what a show. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, we just talked to 
Meg Gillantine, who played the Lola um, oh. just last week. Um, and she just climbed Mount Everest. Uh, no biggie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Quite a quite a cast of people and and choreographed by Bayork Lee, who, of course, just got a Laduka shoe named after her because of her uh, chorus line career and everything. Wow. Um, when, when passion, when the passion play went to the Goodman, I'm assuming the Goodman kind of is the arena stage of Chicago, right? Yes. 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 Did, were there changes with the same play? How does, how did that evolve? Um, I think there were small changes. Um, the projection was really different. Um, it was wild. I mean, it's interesting. I, I think that I think that between between the DC production and the Chicago production, there was a rehearsal process and some changes were made in New York. And I didn't that I don't remember where they rehearsed, but I was not invited. I auditioned for, but was not invited to be in part of that process. And um, and then I think I was. Uh, I auditioned for it, was invited to be in the process in Chicago, but uh, Mark Wing Davies said something like, you may not bring, you know, you may not bring the last production with you. You have to be in the present, which is kind of a wonderful thing to say and also kind of a funny thing to say, um, you know, just implying that that I mean, what he was trying to do is make it clear that, you know, you don't get to come to this this version of the project and say, well, before we did it this way, before we did it that way. And I said, of course, of course. And then at some point in the process, he said, well, how did you do that before <laughs> when we hit something? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> you know? And I, and I genuinely meant it. I had forgotten. I mean, the funny thing about playing the vil the village idiot is it's such a pure state and it's such a fresh state, a state of innocence. Um, that, you know, I didn't retain certain things. There was a kind of innocence about my experience. Right. It, it's, I don't know if you feel the same way, but for me, plays really are blueprints and um, they shape, they, you know, what role, what role you're playing shapes your experience in the play. So, um in the particularly the first time I worked on Passion Play, during the rehearsal process, because no one knew what they had, because it was the first time it was being done, all three parts, and that was breathtaking and, and risk-taking, and there was a lot of fear as well as a lot of excitement. Because my character is the weirdo, the outsider, the village idiot, um, people weren't that nice to me during the rehearsal process. I mean, they were tender in moments, but there was just a kind of, you know, the crowd mentality is to stay with the cool kids, not with the weirdo. Right. And, um, and then the play opened and the, the, it was as though, you know, I don't think any of us quite understood, although Sarah would of course have understood, understood and Molly would have understood that the, Village Idiot is in a way the heart of the play or has a connection to the audience, as you were saying, that there's just this thing that's happening between the text that the Village Idiot speaks and the audience. There's a connection 
that happens. So there were some moments early on in those first previews and afterwards where some of the actors were kind of looking at me during the bows like, what? Right. What? You know, what is, what is this? Um, and so the first time was, that was intense, you know, because I felt both part of a community, but also outside of a community. And so then when I participated in the play other times, I knew that going in and by knowing that going in and then by being in a project, the Goodman project, which some of us transferred to Yale and some of us then came along um, to the Epic Theater project, I was part of the community and people already, you know, my colleagues had been with me beside me. So they, they knew that the role had a, this kind of special um, position or connection with the audience. Um, it was almost the audience's like window in. Yeah. 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 What a, what a wonderful role to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, um, the the next uh, piece by Sarah Rule that we got to see you in was Dead Man's Cell Phone <laughs> at Woolly Mammoth Theater. Now, Woolly Mammoth is one of our favorite theaters in town. They do just outrageous stuff. Um, yes, they do. They do. I will say it's, I mean, I love Arena. I love Studio. I love Candy Center. But going to Woolly, I feel as an audience member, somehow I'm even... I'm honored to be there as an audience member just to even see what Wooly does because yeah. I'm always like, oh my God, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know, I guess I want to say, um, in addition, you were asking about the difference between Chicago and DC. I remember being struck. I think I was in rehearsal for Passion Play. I had seen something of Wooly, but then, uh, you know, I happened to be going to get food at Teaism or something like that, walking on a Monday night, and I saw the line of people outside of Woolly, and I was sort of like, what on earth is that? It looks like a rave. What's happening over there? This is so exciting. What's the, you know, I think I went up and asked, what's the line for? And it was those, is it maybe pay what you can the first yeah. nights? Yeah. And it was so, you could feel from from half a block away, you could feel the excitement. And that feels, that felt that felt specific to Washington and just thrilling to be a part of and to bear witness to. Yeah, there, there's an excitement there for sure. And it's because, you know, whether it's a drama, whether it's a comedy, like, you know, you're going to experience extreme emotions. Right. And you know that the caliber of the work is going to be sensational you know that i mean when i think of those woolly actors the people i got was lucky enough to work with what a crew i mean they were just incredible um and including one of the like famous actresses of dc sarah marshall yes oh my god what a knockout right um her monologues are always something to look forward to. <laughs> the one about people using their cell phones in the bathroom. Right. I can just picture her face right now. Yeah, I felt so, so lucky to be there in that moment in time. Um, Did she throw herself into the oven or the cremation? Yes. Yeah. Yes, she threw herself on the fire. Right? So for those of you not familiar, um, the show's beginning is very clear and the title says exactly what you think uh, there's like as, as i recall and it's been some time but 
help me out with the details here, Polly, but the, there's a cafe and there's a few tables. And there's right. a man, a man who looks like he's asleep. Yeah. And a cell um, phone on the table. Right. And my character can't believe that the phone is ringing and that he won't answer it. And so she's trying to get him to answer the phone. And then she finally gives up. And uh, the character's name is Jean. The play was directed by Re Rebecca Teichman. And um, it was a premiere. And uh, uh, Rick, right? Rick was the dead Rick, man. Rick Fichet. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and so my character picks up the phone. Jean picks up the phone and answers um she answers it and she gets engaged and right isn't that how it goes yeah she, she gets embroiled in his story as she realizes that he's dead and um and she's sort of devastated by the news she's suffering from a kind of empathy and she there's such an intimacy about that moment of being alone with with a man who's dead or or has died while she while she's been eating soup that she feels mm. responsible or on a mission to you know to alleviate the suffering of his family members so she's she goes forward answering the phone meeting his mother meeting his brother meeting his wife um in an effort to try to soothe them and it turns out he's kind of a, a crummy man right you, you again are the window in of the play uh, yeah. from the audience perspective. Yeah. Because it's, it's what's so hysterical about the situation is it's not um, impossible, right? It's, it's definitely something. And I think what, what's hysterical about you, you're holding the program. You know what the show is called. There's a man slumped over and there's a cell phone and it's going off. And to watch your character's kind of like incredulity of like, <laughs> it in it, it it played out for a, what seemed like a long time but not in a bad way yeah like the laughs kept kind of coming because you're yeah. like do you know the title of the play you're in lady no you don't <laughs> yeah no you don't um you and know, you that, that was such, such a fun production and i remember at one point um some of my relatives came and they brought children you know there was a question like do you think this play is acceptable for children? And in a way, my nieces were at the perfect age where they were sort of young enough to have anything complicated go over their heads, but old enough to feel included. And um, I just remember their, their laughter in amongst adult laughter. And I do remember some of the days, some of the shows, there was just a raucous feeling of energy in the room and laughter. At one point, I remember being running backstage and someone saying, it feels like we're at a ball game right now. What's happening? Are they going to be serving popcorn and beer in the in, you know second half? Because this is, it's wild. The crowd is wild. Oh, and that's that great. was really joyful. Well, I, I know that... Uh, Sarah Rule is a has a huge audience here in DC. Her work is done a lot mm -hmm. um, by top notch theaters, mm -hmm. and and I I think you just know when you see that it's a Sarah Rule play. I mean, yeah. it's just one of those playwrights that you're like, I'm I'm going to be in for a really good evening. Sure. So you, you come prepared, you know. I yeah. at the time worked for a Ticket Place, which was the DC equivalent of TKTS. Sure. It was right around the corner from Woolly on 7th and D. Oh, yeah. 
And so I, and we, I, funny story. Um, we actually didn't have bathrooms in that uh business but we had a a deal that's sounding a lot like any old theater job but anyway right exactly so we had a deal worked out with Wooly where we could use the restroom at Wooly but for years of being there there was like my you know my busy job when I didn't have a show um I I would walk in and talk to you know any number of box office or people who were working there um and (laughs) I've never had the privilege of working at Woolly Mammoth, but I do say I've done some work there. Um, (laughs) You know, what a great theater. I mean, that I guess that's what for me coming from Chicago, we have just such an interesting mix and um, we have a range of theaters and sizes and shapes. You just can't possibly see it all. What was thrilling to me was to go to various theaters in D.C. and just repeatedly be wowed by, wowed by what people were doing. Yeah. Um, the caliber of the work is it's just fantastic. Yes. And we, we love whenever you get to come and visit us and uh, hopefully with the world returning to some kind of normalcy yeah. soonish. Yeah. Um, how have you spent your your quarantine? Like, what what's been Polly's like life during the past year and a half? It's been a strange and heartbreaking time, right? Yeah. Uh, I was persuaded by my parents to accompany them to a family reunion in the in the days before the the pandemic. You know, before there was a lockdown. Mm-hmm. My my family has gone to see each other and then the island in Florida, Captiva Island in Florida. And um, so I accompanied my parents and we got there and the world shut down. And so the first two months of the pandemic, we ended up staying where we were, mostly because the first, I think, three or five times we tried to fly home, our flights got canceled yeah so we were we were in a kind of wonderful stage play of our own in that (laughs) um we were staying in uh in an interval ownership a timeshare place where you know in every building the apartments are the same but we had to move every week oh gosh so we were moving on to the same set Week after week after week. I think we moved six times out of eight eight weeks or five times out of eight weeks. Eventually, I got I became more savvy and said, you know, can we do you happen to know of an owner who owns two weeks in a row? Can we talk to someone? But so it was a wild ride. But it was also incredible, like just such a gentle place to be because we we could be outside because some of my aunts and uncles and cousins were also trapped there. And so, and the whole resorts shut down. So it was really wild and strange and beautiful. And, um, you know, the animals came out because there, there wasn't so much water, you know, there weren't boats all over. So suddenly you had schools of stingrays and you had a hammerhead shark and you had a various, so the the bounty of of the natural world was astonishing and and then it was just a lot of work you know i was helping both of my parents i was um 
you know, that was the point where we were all frightened. I think I, when I say we, I mean all of us, I'm assuming you as well. We, we didn't know whether we should have gloves on, what, what kind of guard stuff we should have over our faces. Should you risk going into a pharmacy or a CVS? Was that, should you not breathe when you were inside a CVS, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and for me, uh, every week I was hustling for where's the new place we'll live. Mm -hmm. you know? So I, you know, I, my family would say on uh, Sunday, well, do you think we'll stay one more week or will we go home? And I'd say, you know, I'm resting. Talk to me on, talk to me on Tuesday. And <laughs> on Tuesday, I would start the grind of searching the internet to find the, the shelter for the next week. And, um, and then, and then I think on Friday we'd move and then Saturday I would shop for the week and Sunday I would rest. But, you know, moving, moving a whole household in a kitchen every week was just kind of an insane thing to be doing. Um, anyway, it was absurd. I think you should talk to Sarah about that being a play. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, it was, um, well, the nicest thing about it, and, you know, I had an uncle, we would see each other uh, out on the beach at the end of the day, and one uncle just kept saying, how did we get so lucky that we're here? How, how did we get so lucky that we could be in such a beautiful place? Right. Um, so it was a time, you know, it was a time of extreme fear, and then it was also... Um, the fact that my parents or I could walk down a, an outdoor hallway and stand and uh, talk to my aunts and uncles or a cousin, that was amazing. Yeah. It sounds like almost a perfect pandemic story, you know? It was. I mean, it was in retrospect. At the time, we were all kind of frightened, you know? You were and sort stressed, of like, don't yeah. touch anyone, don't say, you know, don't stand too close, don't, you know, so there was a lot of fear, are we doing this wrong or whatever, but. Um, we were so fortunate. Yeah, uh, I'll say that's that's amazing. Um, and what so now that things look like knock on wood, crossing all fingers, dotting all T's. Um, what? Why do you dot a T? That's a dumb thing to do. <laughs> what does Chicago look like now? <laughs> um, you know, Chicago's trying to move forward. I don't know if I I don't know if you saw that I got to be part of a Zoom reading of Sarah Rules play Dear Elizabeth. No, I did not see that. So I've done a couple of plays online, mostly just readings for friends or colleagues. But this was a fundraiser for the Actors Fund. And it was up uh, for four days, last Thursday through Sunday, uh, a production of Dear Elizabeth Online. We got to, I was part of the project when it was at the Women's Project in New York, where there was a revolving cast every week. Um, someone, you know, two two actors would come in and play Elizabeth Bishop and Robert Lowell and um, the set and I were part of the fabric of the background. I was playing kind of a stage manager. I just read the stage directions and the actors stepped in and, you know, worked with the script right on the stage because it's a play of letters and it's absolutely an exquisite play about friendship and art and writing and um it's it's a lovely play and so there were six casts in in new york uh in 2015 i think 
and um, or yeah, 2015, um, where the you know we'd rehearse with one group during the day and perform with the other group at night, and then switch again and switch again and switch again, and so. They brought Kate Horosky in to direct. She directed that that production. She came back and directed. And Sarah, um, obviously, is the playwright who donated the play. And Meryl Streep and Kevin Klein were the actors. And we, wor we worked from our houses. Oh, wow. So that was pretty incredible um, to be a part of that process. So I'm not, I was not on camera. But my voice was the voice of the person reading the stage directions, which, by the way, I think is um, not to toot my own horn. I think it's a very important part of any reading is who reads the stage directions. Absolutely. Well, sure, because you can clearly steer the boat one way or another. depending yes, on you, you can tank a play. Yeah, by, by by reading the stage directions in a way that drags people down, and also if you if you've had the luck to read Sarah's plays, um, her stage directions tend to be so beautiful. They're yeah. beautifully written. Um, I'm looking at the time, and I want to be mindful of it, but I do have a few other just side questions to ask you about. Um, okay. On well, your IMDb you're thanked in this short film called accident Maryland. Yes. Can, can I ask why? Yeah. Because my dear friend is the filmmaker and um, I, you know, I, he and I collaborate from time to time and weigh in uh, on each other's projects. And that's why I'm thanked. Um, Bicky, he's a great filmmaker. I highly recommend checking him out. The reason I ask, um, so I, my, my father died two years ago, but um, I used to live, my, my mom and dad used to live in a small town in Pennsylvania called Connellsville. And to go home, I would have to pass through Accident, Maryland yeah. every time. Yeah. I never, never stopped to do anything but get gas. So yeah. when I saw this Accident, Maryland thing, I was like, what is this? I have to watch this now. And I watched it and just, it was such a bizarre, weird intersection of like, I have never even, I've passed through this town hundreds of times. Yeah. I've, I've never, you know, even imagined what the people living there were like. Yeah. And that's what's such a great, why it's such a great uh, short film. It, it's, it's I, I could as soon as I met those people, I was like, yes, this makes sense. This looks like the town. <laughs> well, it's such um, a great I think Dan got the idea, you know, responding to the name of the town and wanting to do a project about healthcare, and um, thinking that that there would be synergy there between the name and and having, you know, a conversation about um, healthcare in the country. Yeah, I think there's some tie in with the fact that during winter, that is, that's the place that you check on, you call the police, it, are the roads clear an accident, and I'm not even making a joke. Wow. Um, and I think there's a reason for the name. <laughs> um, it, it's a very kind of perilous, treacherous kind of span. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And always when I got past accident, Maryland, uh, I would 
call my mother and say, yeah, I'm past accident. So very small world. Um, I've never heard, I, I'm sure it, it probably hasn't been uh, to my knowledge, but I've never heard that town called out in any kind of pop culture or <laughs> film or anything. <laughs> so Polly, what age or when was it that you found your light in knowing that this was the direction you should be um, going towards in the arts and knowing that you were going to be this actress? Was it a very young age? Was it like a church growing up thing? I mean, I see that you have a lot of film. Uh, was it Ferris Bueller's Day Off? When you're very young. Yeah. Uh, the Piven Theater Workshop changed my life. Um, I I think I, my mom's, my mom, my mom heard an advertisement on the radio and said, would you like to, to join this thing called the Summer Institute at the Piven Theater Workshop? And I said, yeah and she, I think my mother was surprised that I said yes and I I worked that summer you know it was an intensive and I think the performing company of high school students two, pe two people had graduated or moved on and so myself and a dear friend um, Mary Luby were both asked to join the performing company um, most most of the performing company students had started at age nine or 10. So we were considered coming late to the work at 16. Wow. <laughs> you know, so that was really fun. Um, but it was a very exciting and heady time. We did some local TV stuff. I got some film roles. Um, it was just thrilling to, to be a part of a process where you're both improvising create, and then creating new work. It was it was a wonderful place to train. Yeah, that's that's always interesting to us is where where you were, what was the thing, you know, who was the teacher? Um, when did you feel seen? When did you feel like oh, I can? Heaven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what about you guys with musicals? I mean, the it seems like the body of work you've created is pretty astonishing. Um. Matthew has just always, well, why don't you say what for musicals, what writing? Well, I, I found my, I, I was going to be a minister at one mm. point in my life, or at least I thought I was. And then I joined a gospel group, sort of toured around in a van and sang uh, praises to the Lord. And then uh, a girl I was dating at the time was going to Shenandoah University to get a degree in education. And I thought to myself, I want to go there. And I ended up auditioning and getting into the conservatory. But I remember when I auditioned that my, uh, the head of the school was a little bit reluctant about it. But looking back, I realized that my, my threads through everything was music. And that was my love. And that's why I loved the church. And that's why I loved theater. And that's why I love uh, I think music evokes so much emotion and um, that has kind of carried me through every single job um, in, in most, whether it be me performing in musicals or writing musicals or me teaching my kids piano or teaching my kids how to dance or do improv. It's always has a musical tempo or theme to it. Yeah. And I think once we figured out, Matt wrote uh, his first couple of shows with other people and I'd always wanted to write with him. And then when we figured out that we could, 
and did it well together. Our first musical, uh, you know, went to several different cities, uh, St. Louis, New York. Um, and then we were like, oh, okay, this is kind of fun to do. And then we, yeah, it, it just kind of took on from there. Now it's like, it's the thing I like to do. One of the things I like to do the most in, in the world. And yeah. you, you don't, you're not always lucky enough to be asked to write yeah. a musical. We yeah. currently have to change the Christmas Angel, the 1910 book into a show by what? De- December. Well, by November. Open. Yeah, by November. What? Yeah, we work very fast. Amazing. We wrote five musicals in five years. That's I read that. That's incredible. It doesn't mean they're good, Stephen. No, but we did it. <laughs> um, so, Polly, um, thank you for getting to know us. We just have three uh, sign-off questions we always ask. And um, Matthew, would you start them? Yeah, the first question is, during the pandemic, a lot of people sort of took up new, you know, I'm going to do Duolingo and learn Italian, or I'm going to go back and become a culinary chef did you all of a sudden take up a new vocation no um i my niece died of an accidental overdose of fentanyl poisoning and so no i did not take up something new i i spent some time grieving and supporting my sister and my my nephews and my family of course i'm so sorry to hear that Thank you. Um, we also spend a lot of time, of course, watching lots of different um, shows and movies, listening to different albums. I know that, was it Fiona Apple's um, CD that came out that was actually done like- During the pandemic. It was yeah. actually recorded in her. Um, did you yeah. discover anything outside of uh, uh, TV or entertainment that kept you going? Besides, um, I guess, the addiction to- we were addicted to Rachel every night at nine o'clock <laughs> on MSNBC. Yeah, of course. You know, um, I'm just thinking about your question earlier about when did I know, you know, I, I sometimes still don't know, you know, about working. When did I know I would have this life as an artist or a theater person? Um, you know, it's such an, an unpredictable road that that you know you're working and then you're not working and how do you find your way back to working when you're not working and who are you if you're not working right Um, so there are a lot of questions in that way and i have found it over the course of the pandemic and maybe this is also affected by grief but i found it very difficult to watch theater pieces um during this time where we where we have been home or sheltered or isolated but one piece that i did see that drew me in you know where i found myself instead of sort of leaning back away from the screen going i um, i can't i'm just not i'm not compelled but there was one show i can't remember this is one of those I can't remember the name of the person or the name of the show, but it was a ma- kind of a magic trick of a show. And um, maybe if I can remember the name, we can put it in, you know, put it in the credits here for the podcast. But what was his name? Like Dario or D- whatever. Derek Del Gaudio, maybe um, a magic show that was filmed before the pandemic 
it was the performance was filmed by maybe Frank Oz and something about the choices they made of how they filmed the show that it just I you know I found myself leaning closer and closer to the screen oh wow we'll check it out yeah and then finally um Matthew is also uh, producing our colleague Susan Derry's upcoming holiday album. It's entitled "I Wish It So," yeah. and it's been it's it's got us thinking a lot about wishes and the power of a wish. And a wish is really a manifestation. Um, wish could be supplanted with hope. Uh, and so I made this wish box, and we're working with a local artist, Sushmita Mazumdar, who is going to host a album release slash wish um wish box unboxing uh in the fall just to kind of get a a hand over like what was the you know the general feel of you know artists in the past year so i've been asking every artist the same question at the end top first thing that comes to your mind if you had one wish be it for yourself your family the country the world what would that be i think i'm going to have a just a theater wish and that's a wish that we would value the people as much as we, and the, by the people, I mean everyone, um, the, but the actors, the talent, the people that work in the institutions, that we would value them and pay them in a respectful way, in more so than the, the buildings or the structures themselves. Yes. Very good. I'm just writing it down. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Polly. I really appreciate your time and it was a real delight to talk to you um, and get to ask you some questions about just wonderful evenings in the theater that we've spent watching you and learning from you. Um, oh, that's so nice. And it's a pleasure to meet you both. And I have to tell you those shows, the it was such a delight to work in DC and the, the people I got to work with were just sensational. You know, I want to start shouting names. Hello to Jennifer Mendenhall. Oh my gosh. Et cetera, you know, Naomi. Um, Jacobson. Uh, yeah. Yes. You know, I mean, can we work with Nancy Robinette? No. In fact, not only did I get not get to work with her, her her reputation is it precedes her. Everyone adores her and respects her. And I think once I was up for a Helen Hayes against her and she got it. And you know, and of course, from everything that I've heard, she of course deserved it. Do you know? I mean, she's she just sounds like a real knockout and her award speech was wonderful. Yeah. She's she's a very good friend of ours and she's an, one of the most incredibly talented people but let's not end your podcast on her note right, right, right. <laughs> well i do want to say something about molly too molly is just, molly smith is just so wise and gracious and um she allowed me to come back and trail her for a week as a director because i do sometimes direct and um i learned an enormous amount that week both about her process and um and how things are done at arena and that was just an absolute thrill as well she is a, a titan of the arts in dc and nationally yeah. um and she yeah yeah i i i hope she'll listen to this episode um she we actually did her uh salon molly's salon a few months ago yeah um but she's yeah we adore her as well and 
Anyway, we hope that when the world comes back to normal, that we'll see you somewhere in D.C. Oh, you guys, I would love to. I'd love to see your work and I'd love I'd love a chance to work, work in D.C. again. So speaking of wishes, let's see what happens. That's yes. right. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much, Polly. Yeah. Lovely to meet you both. Thank you. Lovely you to too. meet you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. We love talking to Polly. Um, Polly did message and say that she didn't get to talk about J. Fred Schiffman and how much she loves him and how tender and gentle he was and what a great talent he was. So shout out to you, Fred. Funny enough fact, Fred just left our house and sent his love to you back. Yeah, we could have just had him here. Well, yeah, we didn't think about it till after we No, left. we didn't. We had too much pizza. We had delicious pizza. And pizza. Tonight's episode is brought to you by And Pizza. But you know what? There is no and. There's just pizza. Well, are they, is the and the toppings? The and is all the additional add-ons you can get. It's delicious. If I have... Yep, go. Yeah, no, you go. I have to say, uh, Polly included in this, there's been so many guests on our podcast that I, I think maybe, you know, every guest always feels like, what is this? What am I doing? Who am I talking to? I don't know you. Um, and there's been so many guests that we really could talk to for much longer than we do. Yeah. Yeah. But we kind of get to a place where you want to let them go. So it doesn't feel like, okay, we're going to just ask you like, how do you memorize all of those lines? We would never ask that question. Or what is your process when creating a character? No. But, um, I feel like Polly, along with, you know, uh, many of our guests, we could have talked to for a, a while about stuff because, um, when you're in theater, whether you know someone or you've seen someone or you've followed someone's work, you feel like they are a part of a family that the arts kind of create. And even talking to Polly, Polly um, in this episode from Chicago felt like I, I've seen her, she's not seen us, but I kind of know... Well, she's seen me because she saw Damn Yankees. Right. Not that I did any seminal work there. I was a... No, I think that your baseball skills... I was one of the three guys singing heart. I will claim that. Yeah, and I, I felt heart. I was in the heart trio. Anyway, um, if you don't know who we are, look us up, www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. Find us on Facebook on under Connor and Smith. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It helps us out a lot. And once again, Polly, thank you for calling in to our crazy podcast and talking with us. And, we loved it. And Fred loves you back. <laughs> yes, we just we just talked about you. I hope, hope your ears were burning because we you were talked about tonight in Arlington 22206. In a very positive light. And as we always, always say, turn, turn your, your heart, heart into, into art. art. Happy Pride Month. It's been a great time. Thank you, everybody. Bye.